Hi, I'm Jay Harris, and you are listening to the Monarchist Podcast. Hope you enjoy it. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. And you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. Today, we welcome Mallory Kane, head coach of our Old Dominion women's golf team. Mallory played at the University of Georgia and coached for six seasons at Western Carolina before joining ODU in 2016. Mallory's joining us live from Scottsdale, Arizona, where she's coaching Yana Melikova and the Division I Women's Golf Championship. Welcome to the show, Mallory. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Well, uh, congrats on a great year. We know you're in Arizona supporting Jana, the first ODU women's golfer to make the Division One National Championship Finals. How does it feel to be the first coach to lead a player there? Well, you know, it's not about me as the coach, right? It's about her as the player. I mean, she's the one that she's really the one that got me here. So we're just excited. We played our practice round today and just incredible venue at Greyhawk in Scottsdale. And just feel it feels like you're playing in a national championship with the 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 signage with the just the how great the golf course is and seeing all the all the top teams and top players around it just feels really special to get to be a part of it and obviously uh big j as i call her has had a fantastic year and just kind of went through the gauntlet to get here it's so tough to make the national championship in golf and she's she's jumped every hurdle so to speak to get here and um hopefully we can really enjoy the next four days and she can put on another great performance. So what's that course like? What kind of features does it kind of play? Will it uh, play to? Greyhawk. So it's Greyhawk golf club in like Northern part of Scottsdale. And it's hosted a lot of big events. It's had some PGA tour events. It's had a big international junior tournament here. Phil Mickelson and a lot of the other Phoenix based pros play out here great practice facility desert golf you know big green fairways but if you're off of them you're in the desert you're in the cactus the greens are undulating bunkers are really deep it's definitely a shot makers golf course you've got to keep it in play you've got to really keep your your head about you because it tempts you it tempts you to want to kind of go for it every hole has a little go for it in it and you've just got to stay super disciplined keep the ball in front of you and yeah, just be patient. Shot by shot, all that boring golf stuff. Well, to me, that's not boring. <laughs> <laughs> I could talk to you about that course all day, but I'll let Aaron keep us moving. Nice. Well, let's take, let's roll back in time a little bit here, Mallory. So we know that you grew up in Somerville, South Carolina. How old were you mm-hmm. when you first picked up a club? And at what age did you know that a career in golf was a possibility? Well, I did grow up in Somerville near Charleston. We, we moved a little bit because my dad was an Air Force pilot. So we were also, he was also based up at Andrews, you know, up near D.C. and then over at Warner Robins in Georgia, but ultimately back in, in Charleston. He was a great golfer himself. He had a great eye for the game. And so he kind of got me into it when I was about 10 years old. You know, I played other sports like a lot of little kids do, soccer and this and that, but just loved going out and playing with my dad. And he was very helpful with, 
you know, getting me the right equipment, providing me with great instruction and just great opportunity, you know, to play in tournaments and get, you know, the the necessary, I guess, exposure and experience that you need to progress in the game. I would say he was probably a little ahead of his time as far as, you know, being a parent of a very successful, you know, kid in sports. You know, he really limited me actually in as much as I could play and practice. He always wanted me to be excited to go to the golf course. He wanted it to be something that I truly enjoyed and wanted to do. Maybe a little different than nowadays when parents can be a little too overbearing and too involved. He was the perfect mix for what I needed. And, you know, once I was in high school, I played I played on the boys' high school team at Somerville High School. We didn't have a girls' team at that time, and that was a great experience. I absolutely loved it. Really challenged me in a lot of different ways because I was playing in the, you know, in the back tees with the with the guys. Made me a lot tougher. Made me a lot stronger. And then started doing a lot of junior tournaments around the country, and uh, you know, received offers from, gosh, I, a ton of Division One schools around the country. I was very lucky. I could have picked you know, just about anywhere to go to school. Very fortunate. And, you know, it was probably then that, that I realized that, you know, I can take this with a scholarship to, to the University of Georgia and, and possibly turn it into some type of, you know, lucrative career. So you mentioned Georgia. Do you have a favorite moment or memory of your time at Georgia? Oh, gosh. The 2005 SEC football game. <laughs> and it probably wouldn't even it's not a golf memory we had lots we did win the sec championship my sophomore year by a record margin over florida then we did play in four national championships and i did win a tournament individually out in vegas but i'm such a football nut that my best memories of school were probably probably spent at football games and at tailgates and we had you know great it was a great time football at georgia when i was there it was matt stafford and no sean moreno and todd Gurley and i'm oh, sorry I'm well Sorry, not Todd. Thomas Brown. I mean, just a great group of guys that were on the football team and a good time to be a fan. So I'm well aware I was at Tennessee at the same time you were at Georgia. Oh, man. I didn't know this about you, Mike. Yeah. This changes we didn't things. tell you, we didn't tell you before we asked you to come on the podcast. <laughs> it was strategic. Yeah, this changes things now. But I am an ODU alum as well, so uh, don't hate me for it. Oh, all right, Mallory, before you accepted the Old Dominion job, you were the head coach at Western Carolina for six years. Mm-hmm. What? Why'd you leave and head to Norfolk? Well, I will always be grateful to Western Carolina because they provided me, provided me with my very first opportunity. I was 23 years old six months from graduation, you know, no work experience whatsoever. And they hired me to be a division one head coach. So very, very lucky that I was able to, you know, get the interview and get in there and somehow convince them to hire, you know, a kid, you know, to, to head up their program. So with that being said, you know, six years, there was, I think, enough time. It, it is a very rural place to live with very, very limited resources for the golf teams. So for me, I really couldn't pack my things fast enough to, to get over to Norfolk and Virginia Beach. Like you said, I'm from Somerville. I'm from Charleston. I love being near the water. I'm not a mountains girl. I guess they're nice for the, for the occasional 
weekend trip or something. But like I said, I so appreciate my time there and, and will forever be in debt to them. But ODU just offered so much more in terms of the golf program, the resources, the facilities, where you live. It was just a no-brainer. I couldn't, couldn't get there fast enough. So since taking over, it's clear recruiting internationally is a big part of yeah. building Old Dominion Golf. How does that process work? Like, how hard is it identifying the, these athletes from all over the world? How do you sell them on the school? How do you show them the school with, right. without a visit? Well, we have had a very, ODU has had a very international women's golf program for a while now. Dates back even before my days there. And what I try to tell people is, because, you know, I do get the occasional, uh, you know, questions of, you know, why don't we have more players from the state of Virginia? Why don't we have more, you know, players from the United States? But what I encourage people is, you know, to think about is, you know, kind of think outside the box a little bit more, be a little bit more open-minded. Golf is played globally. And so the globe is our recruiting map. And the United States is the only place in the world where you can combine high-level amateur sport and higher education while getting a scholarship to pay for it. You know, that is what this great country offers. You know, whether you like college sports or not, it is a wonderful opportunity. And people around the globe know that and they appreciate it. And so I look at recruiting other countries just like I look at recruiting another state. If you're a good person with good grades and you're a good enough golfer, we want you. And we don't care where you're from or what your mom and dad do or you know, what your religion is or your color is. We look at the character of the person and the quality of the student athlete. It's just that simple. Now, like you asked, how, you know, how do we get there? Like everything in life, it's just so much to be found on the internet, right? As far as research of scores and swing videos and rankings, a ton of word of mouth. We get a good player. We ask her, hey, who's the next youngster coming up behind you? And we've had great success with that. We get a lot of players very last minute. We've been recruiting off the portal a lot. We are not going to get players that were that commit to us a year or two ahead of time. That's just not going to happen for us, and we don't even try to. We get a lot of late bloomers and, like I said, situations that are very last minute. So our recruiting strategy would probably scare some coaches to death the way that we do it, but it's been working for us. You know, We will continue to do that, and like I said, we don't care where the player is from. It is truly about you know, who they are as a person and can they get it done in the classroom and on the golf course. So once they reach campus, imagine Norfolk is very different than a lot of these places. Sure. Are we dealing with a lot of culture shock or homesickness? You know, I think there is always a little bit of that. And I guess there's probably that for the 18-year-old freshman that's from Suffolk, right? Yeah. I mean, they're there's just a little bit of that no matter what when you're 18 and a freshman and going off to school. But I think all of these women that we have recruited, they there's a piece of them that's obviously a little bit adventurous or a little bit brave to make this jump. I mean, I know I, and I'm sure you guys would say the same thing. I could only imagine at 18 going across the world to another country to go to college. It was all I could do to go to the next state. So they they're very internationally traveled, they're very mature, and they're very sure of themselves 
as they make this step. Is there the homesickness? Absolutely. Some culture differences, yes. Usually the biggest thing is just food. You know, food is different. The Europeans always say when they get here in August that we are pumping the air, the air conditioning like no other. And they're not used to that. Eat but, too uh, early in the day, too. Yeah, <laughs> we do. Yes, we do. We do. Our dinners are way too early. Our portions are way too big. But yeah, it's, it is, you know, it is, it is obviously an adjustment. But I think one of the things that we've had success with is because we are so diverse, because we are so international, that is actually what brings everyone together. And they can really bond over that. And we just try to make people feel like this is your second home. You know, we're not here to replace your family. We're not here to replace back home. We want to be your, your second home and know that you've got a second family in us. So, so far, so good on that. Uh, you know, we've had great retention rates and people are happy and they're doing well and graduating. So whatever Rachel and I are cooking up is working. That's really insightful. So obviously you and Rachel stay busy year round. So when you invest time in scouting potential future monarchs, your time is valuable, it's scarce. So you've got to maximize those resources. You don't, it's not like you have a staff of 10. You know, there's two of you right. that are, that are doing all this. So you talked a little bit about what you look for with regards to being a good student and being a good person, but obviously you're recruiting folks to come and play golf. So what golf attributes are you looking at that are going to give you the confidence in extending a scholarship offer? Well, the first thing that we want to look for is a good athlete. You know, some people may argue that golf is not much of a sport, but you know, what do they know? Yeah, so we look, we look for, we look for great athletes first, people that have played other sports. There's just something to be said for someone who's a well-rounded athlete because that translates into how they practice, how they work out, how they train, how they listen to coaching. So that's probably the first thing we look at is just their overall athleticism, just solid fundamentals. If somebody's got kind of a an odd, something odd in their fund fundamentals, that can be really difficult to coach when it starts to go bad. If you have pretty basic, simple fundamentals with how you set up to the golf ball, it's easy to get you back to that when things kind of go a little bit sideways. I like to look for a lot of tournament experience, someone that has played a ton of, I really like that because it is through tournament experience that you get better. And then probably the other, the last thing would be just pro making progress. I love to see scores from years prior. You know, they'll send me three or four years worth of scores and you can see, hey, this particular player, you know, she's a shot better here. She's two shots better here. You can see that she's trending in the right direction. So, you know, in terms of their, their skills, that's sort of what we're looking at. Obviously, you love somebody with a great short game. If she doesn't have a great short game, you know, you love to see somebody with a long hitter or that is a long hitter. But yeah, that, that would be what we would look for, you know, like you said, from a, from a physical attribute. All right. So going a little bit deeper on that, let's, let's say you got two golfers to pick from and you only got one spot. One's a great ball striker. The other one's the big hitter. And they're both great people, great students. Mm -hmm. How do you make yeah. that decision? Well, ball striking, you know, ball striking is so much more consistent, you know, because with good ball striking typically comes good course management and that through the long haul will will pan will pan out, you know, long hitters. I really haven't recruited that many long hitters, to be honest with you. Although if my players were listening, they'd probably say, what the heck? We're, <laughs> all, long hitters, we're all long hitters. I'm sure but, they can uh, all outdrive me. I was going to say, I'll... yeah, compared to me, man. <laughs> No, I mean, it's, you know, consistency is so important, especially with how college golf works. You know, we play 
four or five events in the fall, six or seven in the spring. You know, you have these back-to-back weeks where you're not really getting in much practice. It's just travel and tournaments, really difficult conditions, different courses, different grasses. The consistent player is the player who ultimately is what you're looking for. Absolutely. So once you've made the decision, you want to extend a scholarship offer. How do you sell Old Dominion to the recruit? Gosh, you know, to me, the the biggest thing that I sell right off the bat is just that it's a great place to live. You know, I love where we live. I think it's a wonderful place to live, to work, to go to school, to play golf, to have a family. You know, yes, this is where you're going to school, but it is your it's your second home, as we talked about, and you're going to be there for four years. So great place to live. Obviously, we have wonderful, supportive people around our program. And that is probably our number one sell, if you will. Rachel, me, our, our team, you know, we are going to do everything we can to meet you where we are. We're very much about the individual. I want people to be themselves to the fullest. We do not try to put anybody into a box. You're just as individual as your golf swing. And we try to coach as such. We try to coach or we try to adapt to our players' needs rather than the other way around. We don't have many rules. We don't have many team policies. We really just try to meet everybody where they are. Because I have found that when you can get these players to be happy and comfortable and really trusting in you, they will be their best. And that's in everything. That's in the classroom. That's on the golf course. That's just in life. So for us, it's all about creating that environment where people are like, hey, I'm valued. You know, who I am as an individual is valued. They're meeting me where I am. You know, I can, I can you know, speak up. And, and contribute to the conversation. And my coaches take me seriously. My teammates respect me. And I know that all that combined will lead to success. So uh, we know this is the last year of Lambert's Point Golf Course, which as a member of the Lambert's Point Golf Course Association, I'm very sad about. What does the loss of that course mean for your program? And how do we adapt? Well, there's a couple of things there. You know, for us, Lambert's Point has been a real selling point in recruiting. Because we can offer a facility that's, I say it's on campus. I know that technically it is off campus. But we sell it as a facility that's on campus that the student athletes can walk to from their dorm in just a few minutes. You know, it's, it's their home. Every other team has a locker room. Every other team has a facility. And for golf, this this is it. You know, that's where our locker room is, our team lounge, our co- coaches' offices. That is our, our little home. It's where we meet every day. And the facility itself, you know, like I said, we sell it as something that's convenient for our players to get out and practice. An actual, you know, day-to-day, you know, practically what are we doing? We're going off campus. We're going off campus to play and practice four or five days a week. It is not somewhere where we have been getting in our absolute best work. You know, I would save that for Princess Anne, for Bayville, for Riverfront, Cedar Point, and of course, Elizabeth Manor with their recent renovation. So I think more than anything, it's, it's, we want our players to have a home. You know, the basketball team has a nice home. The the soccer team has a nice home. Golf needs to have a nice home. And the, the players need to have their 
their facility that they can go to, to, you know, put their work in, but to also feel like, you know, they have something there on campus that belongs to them. I want to circle back. Mike asked you about recruiting and obviously international is a huge focus. So I'm looking at the roster and I see Czech Republic, Argentina, Japan, Italy. So I know I'm missing one more. Belgium. I mean, so we're, Mm -hmm. we're all over the place. So... How do you how do you show the school? Are you going around campus with do yeah. FaceTime? Like, what if I'm a recruit? Which obviously I'm yeah. not because my golf swing stinks. But if I were and I lived across the Atlantic Ocean, mm-hmm. tell me what kind of what what I would expect there. Yeah, so we have a basically just a, a template email that we have come up with at this point that that has some links and some videos to different facilities, parts of campus, golf courses that we feel like best highlights what we do have to offer, not only from athletic facilities, but just the campus in general. So that's sort of our template email that we'll send out and we'll FaceTime them, you know, we'll send them pictures from practice and videos from practice, you know, again, just back to the internet and the phones and everything that, that you can do there. But just really, you know, reassuring them that this is a wonderful place to get an education and that the people here are really what's going to make the difference for you as a recruit. Everybody has a gym. Everybody has a squat rack. Everybody has a classroom with a desk and a smart board. You know, everybody has a study hall, but at the end of the day, what's going to ultimately make the biggest difference in your experience as a student athlete in college is the people you surround yourself with. Obviously, some places maybe just have budgets and, and facilities that are just out of this world, and maybe that will make a little bit of a difference, but leadership is still the most important and the support around your players is the most important. So we do what we can to show them. Yeah. Like you said, the FaceTimes and stuff like that and videos try to get the, you know, a good, good feel for what they're getting, but mainly it's just about getting them in touch with as many people as possible so that they can feel welcomed. Well, it sounds like you've got a, you got a down pat on how to connect with them. Mike and I had the opportunity to come to a cool event that you had recently and you certainly connected with us and other friends. Of the- Tell us a little bit about that event and kind of what the thought process behind that was. Sure. So many years ago, uh, started with the men's golf team, a group of supporters, ODAF members, sort of forged a little group within a group, if you will, and they called themselves the Friends of Golf. And they started, I guess we're coming up on 10 years now, a dinner at the Norfolk Yacht Club. And this dinner, um, pretty much everyone in attendance was was donated a, a significant amount of money to the, to the golf teams. You know, fancy dinner, everybody was dressed up. The coaches would speak, a couple of the players would speak, and just a great time for everyone to just mingle and get to know each other. Uh, really great event. And that has grown over the years. But what we got to thinking was, you know, we see these people in November and we ask them for some money and then we just sort of like, all right, see you next November. So the idea was let's do something, you know, in the springtime where we get these the same group of people and some others as well to come out, you know, to our place and to see our players rather than all dress up and at a fancy dinner. Let's see them in their environment and get people kind of mingling together as we did on the range, the chipping green, the putting green just get the conversation flowing that way. So it was very much just kind of a 
brainstorming idea that we had that we just kind of put together in a couple of weeks. If I'm being honest, it wasn't, you know, meant to be anything really fancy. You know, we had some food and some, you know, some drinks for folks, but really it was just about getting our supporters face to face with our student athletes in their environment. And I think that it really exceeded everybody's expectations. You know, we were already brainstorming for next year, just some other things that we can do to make it bigger and better. But I was so impressed with our supporters and the student athletes, how they really just went for it. You know, people were hitting balls, people were chipping and putting, they were getting tips. You know, everybody was just having a blast. And that is ultimately what it was all about. And I love that about golf, that you can do that together, right? It's just difficult with other sports. You know, how do you do that in a football or a, or a baseball, something like that. But with golf, you know, you can just be right there together, you know, sharing in it. And um, yeah, I was so impressed with everybody that night. It was really a blast. And we definitely will be doing it more. I could even see us doing it maybe twice a year, once in the fall, once in the spring, maybe something in conjunction with a football weekend. I don't know the, the kind of the sky's the limit on that thing. So thank you guys for being there and, and supporting. And I believe Aaron, you won our putting contest, if I'm not mistaken. I do. But that I, I think that wasn't necessarily <laughs> a great skill. I think I just happened to maybe get lucky that's right he did so we're talking about donors ultimately donors lead to the team budget Mm -hmm. so how does that manage are you doing that on your own or are you working with someone in the athletic department sure you know we do a lot in conjunction with with odap and their staff they're extremely helpful in terms of getting us coaches and players in front of the right people and kind of just helping us organize you know maybe who to talk to or when to talk to But ultimately, yeah, you know, as a coach, you know, the ball's in your court and you can do as much as you want or or as little as you want. For me personally, I've done a ton and we've been very successful with that. And as we have seen, the more successful our fundraising has been, the more successful our golf team has been. It allows us to do the things that we need to do. First and foremost is our schedule, our strength of schedule has gotten so much better in the last six years. Um, and that is because we now have, you know, the money to fly to the better tournaments. And our team has gotten better, so we're getting invitations to bigger events. Everything in golf is invitational only. So, you know, now I don't have to say no. I, you know, I can't afford it. I'll just raise the money and we will fly to Las Vegas or we will fly to Texas, whatever it may be to play the best tournament. And then up goes the national ranking. The next part of it is you got to have money to bring recruits over on official visits. We talked about that. We're flying people in from all over the world. So we've got to be able to afford those plane tickets to get them over here. So the budget that we start with at the beginning of the year is not nearly enough for what it is that we want to do. If we just spent that, we would not be nearly as successful. And quite frankly, our student athletes would not be having the, ex- the, the, the best experience they could have. So yeah, we do work our tails off to fundraise and we have wonderful supporters, wonderful supporters. These are people that just not only do they give of their of their money, but they give their time, always sending supportive messages, calls, just so thoughtful in their support of our team. And, you know, again, it goes back to kind of that second family feeling. I know that my players, you know, they they know that and they feel that and it it helps them in doing better. They really want to do better for those that support us. So speaking of big supporters, September last year has announced that E.V. Odoms made a mm-hmm. very generous donation to the program. Yeah. The largest gift ever to a woman's sports program at ODU. Mm-hmm. $525,000. How 
How has that helped the program move forward in the last year? So Evie became a friend of the program through our women's collegiate tournament that we host at the Princess Anne. She was a volunteer. She was one of our live scorers and just came out and, you know, did her shift, but really just loved it. She loved seeing, you know, these top division one women athletes on her course, you know, playing so well and enjoying themselves that it just sort of inspired her, I guess, to be a little more interested in us and interested in our, in our team and our needs. You know, Evie is, is such a huge supporter of women's sports in general, but especially golf and especially golf in our area. She was sort of a pre-Title IX women's athlete, if you will. You know, she didn't quite get the benefit that, you know, people of my era certainly certainly have had. And so for her, it's really about, you know, giving to giving to women so that they can have the experience that she didn't quite have. So the the donation that that her and her husband Hugh did for us, it benefits a number of things. First and foremost is the tournament that we have at Princess Anne. We have now actually changed the name to the Evie Odom Invitational in her honor. We felt like she was making such an, you know, an unbelievable impact. We wanted to at least extend that offer to her. And she, you know, definitely humbly accepted. And we think it's, you know, that that piece of the donation directly supports the tournament. So what is that? It's the dinners, it's the breakfast, it's the tea gifts, it's the coaches gifts signage just everything to kind of give wow factor to the event i mean as far as a regular season event goes you'll be hard pressed to find a better one around the country it is just very very first class we have so many volunteers that come out we have live scoring every hole which is something that you really only see at the ncaa tournaments it's just a classy event and and her donation has really just upped everything that we were already doing she's got some other other parts of that donation go you know, directly to supporting this, the team's budget, which gives me, it's not, you know, directed at anything, which gives me ultimately just as much say as possible and where that goes. And she understands how helpful that is to not have my hands tied with it. So what they're doing is, is extremely helpful. And I think that again, the donations go up, the program gets better. And, you know, I think it's really cool that the largest donation, you know, to a women's sport came from a woman and came to women's golf. I think that I hope that others recognize that. I think I hope others see that and they are inspired and encouraged to try to do more of the same. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. Speaking of the invitational, how do how do you get those fields? Like when do you put those invitations out? How does that yeah. that work? So, well we'll take it back. So when I got to ODU, we did not have what we call a home tournament. We did not have a home game. And I mean, can you imagine, you know, any other sport not having a home game? It's just crazy. And I felt like that was a huge hole in our schedule. We have great golf courses in this area. We should definitely be hosting. And our players deserve a home game. Our fans deserve an opportunity to drive down the street and watch us play. So, you know, we were playing all the different courses and I just happened to, to make a uh, form a very special relationship with Matt Liebler and the staff at Princess Anne. They have been so phenomenal to our program, so phenomenal to me personally, just great friends, great friends. And they, they certainly put together a, a, a first class event 
and what they do to run our event really helps. How do we get the teams? Like I said, everything in golf is invitational only. And we send these invitations out like 12 to 14 months in advance. Um, And we're trying to get the very best teams and in hopes that, you know, if I invite such and such great team, that coach will then invite me back to their great tournament, sort of as a reciprocal. So um, very strategic, you know, with who you invite. And we've got teams literally from all over the country that want to come and play. So 15 teams is what we have. And that's an average standard size college regular season event field. So first full weekend in October is when we do it. And it's just a great experience. I know we, we've already talked about doing something with the tournament, you know, when the time comes. But yeah, it's such a fun, such a fun weekend. Our players get really into it. We have great support. And people that do get to come out and watch a little bit, they they love it. They You know, a lot of people have never been to a college golf tournament. And they don't realize you just get right out there and walk alongside and you're kind of in the action and yeah, it is a lot of fun and we're looking forward to doing it again this October. I'm looking forward to it. So if someone wanted to volunteer for that event, is that something they could do? Yeah, we will. We have a pretty good, pretty already have a pretty good volunteer base, but I would definitely love to have more, ODU people, if you will, in supporting that. We have lots of members from the club at Princess Anne, Bayville, Cavalier that come. We have some local golf teams that volunteer and just personal friends of mine, family, stuff like that. But we would love to have more just true ODU people out there volunteering. So, you know, when the time comes, we will definitely do as much as we can to promote that through our website or whatever we feel like is the best possible means of getting that out there so that people have the information if they want to volunteer or if they just want to come out and watch. I know I'd be definitely interested and I imagine some of our listeners would be too. So make sure you send that to us and we can spread the word. Yeah. The live, the live scoring volunteering is the best. You've got a golf cart for the day with a group and you just follow that group and keep their score and it goes up onto the live website, you know, onto golf stat, which you guys have now probably become familiar with. Yeah. And so you're just right there. I mean, you're right there in the action with them. And that's, that's usually the, the most coveted volunteer spot just because it is so interactive. Well, shoot, Mike, I'm in if you are, I get to drive though. <laughs> so obviously Mike golfs a lot more than me. It's been a little while since I've spent a whole lot of time on the golf course. But I've got some pretty funny stories from my time. Not that I ever fell out of a golf cart with Cheetos or anything like that. But what's your best golf story that you have, Mallory? Gosh, I have a great one. It's not a, the most appropriate, but I will. I promise I will. That's tell you okay. Guys We've got you might set us up with the explicit little thing, so yeah. it's okay. Well, I'll tell you the yeah. I can tell you part part of the story, but yeah, the the USGA started this four ball championship about I think it was in 2015 they started it and I got was fortunate enough to qualify with with a friend of mine we went out and played and at this incredible golf resort Bandon Dunes in southwest Oregon just phenomenal and dream vacation for me it was Oregon has Oregon has some of the most underrated golf in the country no doubt great golf in Oregon so we go out there and we're we're paired with 
two very young players. I'm in my late 20s. My partner's in her early 40s. And we're paired with a 12-year-old and a 17-year-old. And uh, the the 12-year-old was this girl, Lucy Lee, who actually became famous for qualifying for the Women's Open at like 11 down in Pinehurst and eating ice cream during her interviews or something. And so we're playing and my partner makes like a 20 footer for par, like the fourth hole. And I'm standing over on the side of the green and I clap for her and I say, Hey, way to go partner. And one of the young ones standing right next to me and she looks over at me and she goes, well, aren't you the competitive one? <laughs> I said, damn, I can't believe that this girl had the nerve to say that to me. So anyway, we're, we're going along and all day I'd been the, the longer hitter in our foursome and this girl's up ahead of me. We're walking down. I think it was like 15 or 16 and we're walking down there to the drives and she's already down by our golf balls and she's standing by our golf balls. They're right next to each other. She's standing right over top and she's looking at them and she's looking back at me and looking at the balls and looking back at me. So I get down, you know, get to the, where she is and she goes, well, it looks like I got you on this one. And I'm looking at this whole thing. And I said, well, I said, you know what? I said, it looks like you did. But I said, my, you know, what's are bigger than yours. And I mean, the caddies were just, the caddies were about fell on the ground. She didn't know what to say. I finally shut her up for the day, but it was, yeah, it was, it was a good little one liner that I shared, but, it, it kind of extends a little further. She ended up playing at the University of Oregon. And my first year at ODU, we were down at ECU playing in a tournament, and Oregon was there. And we get on the elevator with Oregon. And she looks over at me, and I'm kind of looking at her, and she said, Big, is that you? <laughs> and I said, Little, is that you? <laughs> Sure enough, actually a great gal. We've 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 kept in touch. A great gal, but that that same that same week, right after that, they we we missed the cut. And these kids, they killed us. I will say, they were phenomenal golfers, and they smoked us. We missed the cut. And one of the things that you got to do while you were out there was play the other golf courses for free while you were there. We're just like five hundred dollar round value. So I, heck yeah, I was going. And so I go out to Band and Trails to play it's just i'm by myself just carrying my bag by myself There's nobody at this resort and i come up on these these two guys and i just say you know hey you guys i'm a single you know can i join you and they said sure you know come on turns out it was this guy josh lesnick who is the general manager of kemper sports which manages a ton of phenomenal golf resorts around the country and then Mike Davis, with which if anybody is a true, true golfer, Mike Davis was just went out, the president of the USGA. Tiny guy with the bald head and the glasses that sets the pins at the US Open that everybody always yells at for the terrible greens. This guy. So I recognize him. I go, oh, my gosh. I cannot believe this. I'm like, I'm playing with these guys? So I'm like, okay, you know, these, I better, you know, button up, you know, you know, be on your best behavior. So we're playing and we get around to like the fourth or fifth hole hits a little comfort station. So they go in to get something. I'm thinking, 
you know, these guys, were they going to get like an iced tea or like a Gatorade or something, you know, lame? No. Double tequila, splash of lemonade, and then Mike Davis, probably shouldn't even be saying his name, but the guy from the USGA will say, gets a, he, he gets a double, what did he get? Double, some kind of bourbon, double bourbon neat. And I'm going, what a drink order on the golf course. So, I'm like, Mallory, you know, what do you want? I'm going, uh, you know, just something with a little vodka or something. <laughs> so they order my drink. So now we're drinking and playing, and we come back around to it again in like five or six holes. Get her another double. Well, now I'm a little loose-lipped, and we're <laughs> playing, and I'm a little too just, you know, feeling good. And I decide that I'm going to tell those guys this story. So here I am telling Mike Davis at the USGA, the most like button up man in all of golf, this ridiculous story about my, you know, what? And uh, yeah. So I told, I told him the story. <laughs> he died laughing. He thought it was hilarious, but to this day, I'm so embarrassed that I said that in front of him, but yeah, abandoned dunes, great place. Good, good golf stories. Did you get out on the preserve? Yes. Incredible. Played all of them. Incredible. Would go back in a heartbeat. I would love to go with my brother for the summer solstice tournament. It is a on summer solstice, longest day of the year. You try to play every hole, every course. Obviously you're walking caddies. Most people don't quite make it, but it is start right there at sunup and you just go and try to finish. Yeah. It sounds like, have you seen the hundred hole walk charity? I don't think so. So you get a foursome together and you try to raise money. You get pledges for how many holes uh-huh. you play. And you try to play a hundred holes in a day. Oh, yes, 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 yes. No, I have seen that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm trying yeah. to get my group together for that so we can go do it at Sweetens Cove. Mm. Yeah. I've heard great things about Sweetens Cove. Uh, yeah, it's a phenomenal place. Yeah. All right. 2017 Conference USA Champs. Pretty cool. Great yeah. accomplishment. Is that your best yeah. ODU golf memory? And if not, what is? I mean, conference championships are really special. Obviously, they're so difficult to win. That was especially memorable because my now assistant, Rachel, was a senior. And, you know, for her to get to go out on top like that was really, really special. She had struggled that particular tournament, and I know it was just a wreck over it because she so badly wanted to, you know, be able to help the team as she did her whole career. But just to see her teammates play as well as they did that last day to win it was a lot of fun. And it's memorable because, you know, you're seeing it through their eyes, you know, what it means to them. Uh, it sounds cheesy or corny, but I mean, that really is what it's all about. Like you want to see them just truly enjoying it. I remember I just kind of stood back and just watched them celebrate because it was, to me, it was that, that was the memory that I wanted to, to have was rather than being in the middle of it, just get to kind of stand back and see them. Gosh, we've had some good ones though. You know, the, we were... 2019 we're out in Clay Allen, Washington at the the regional out there, you know, the regional that qualifies you for nationals. And we were leading about halfway through the first day. We just started on a tear. I think we were like six, seven, eight under through nine holes. 
and we were beating Southern Cal and Duke and South Carolina and all these teams. And they had the, not the electric, the, not the digital scoreboards, but the, you know, the, like they have the masters, that kind of where they do it themselves. I saw Old Dominion on top of all those schools. And I was like, man, I wish we could just end the tournament right now and go home. <laughs> this is incredible. Yeah. You know, three. Did you take a picture? Three, Hell yeah, I took a picture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we've we've had obviously in six years you got to kick one out for COVID, but in five years we've had a conference championship. We've taken three teams to regionals, which is essentially our regionals is like the first two rounds of the basketball tournament. Yeah. And now we've taken two individuals to regionals, and now we've kicked down the door and we're at the national championship with an individual with obviously the next step, you know, bringing the team here. So, you know, sometimes progress can be really slow, certainly in the game of golf. But when you kind of sit back and look at it like that, it's like, man, we're, we're doing it. Like, we're really doing it. We're, we're taking the necessary steps. But, you know, the best memory is it's just seeing it through the players. You know, graduation days, you know, their individual victories or personal best rounds, you know, that that is really what I just love so much as a coach. And obviously when it happens in golf, it's extra special because golf is more about dealing, dealing with your failures than dealing with, with wins. Right. So any little success that we get to share with our team, I just try to soak it all up. So coaching, um, we know during tournaments and practicing, it's going to be totally different. You're helping them fine tune things when they're at the range or during a practice round. What is the coaching like during a tournament? Right. Good question, because a lot, a lot of people don't know this. So during tournaments, you are essentially a caddy minus that you, you can't carry their clubs. So you can, you can read putts. You can rake bunkers. You're helping with club selection, you know, looking at the yardage book, looking at the whole location sheet, you know, kind of coming up with a strategy for that particular shot. So, um, Every day is a little different, you know, depending on just where we are, what the course is, what the conditions are. It's just kind of an ongoing conversation of where I need to be, where Rachel needs to be, which player needs what. Some players, we call it hand-holding. They like a lot of help. They like a lot of attention. And others are, you know, just, just leave me alone. I'm, I'm fine. So, yeah, it's always, it's always evolving when it comes to that. But we try to help where we feel like, where we, feel like we can. Sometimes in golf, you just got to let them go. Like you said, we do a lot of work back home with the swings and short game. We do a lot of work in the practice round coming up with the strategy. If you got great players, let them go play. Sometimes that can be hard in golf. You see a lot of overcoaching out there. I just try to let them be independent and believe in themselves. And if they want us, we'll be there. So in this case where you're out in Scottsdale and you know, yeah. I mean, what was it? It's less than a week ago, right? We're qualified yeah, for that. Yeah. So you know you're going out, a couple of you are going out there for this. And I'm guessing probably Yana's first time playing this course. Yes. Yep. So yep. so yep. what is that like? Are you getting out there? Can you get on the course to play it? Are you looking at videos or maps of the course and studying right. that stuff? Kind of the week yeah. prior, what, what are you guys doing? You know, the, the, thing, the thing that you do ahead of time, there's only so much you can do really before you see the golf course. I think you can really overthink it. The best thing you can do is just 
just get back to basics. Let's make sure our alignment's solid. You know, let's make sure, you know, we've got our, our distances dialed in. You know, our short game is, is sharp. So that when you do actually get out there, we get a practice round. That's what we had today. You get an opportunity to get out and play the golf course. You can hit some extra shots, putts and chips, get a feel for the speed of the greens. But if you're, you know, you want to get your game in as, as best shape before that, just so you can make the most of your practice. Dog. That must be my that must be my Georgia Bulldogs down the hall. Yeah. So it's yeah, the, the practice round, you know, you've got your yardage book, which is essentially like a course map. You try to figure out maybe where you think some of the holes will be put and put to those locations. Lots of chipping, lots of putting, getting your 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 target off each tee. Are you gonna hit drive or are you gonna hit three wood? So a lot of conversation, a lot of note taking in the yardage book. The yardage books nowadays are incredibly incredibly detailed with yardages and slopes and just everything you could ever imagine so the the practice rounds take a long time because you are hitting those extra shots and taking lots of notes but it's your opportunity to study and come up with a game plan appreciate that insight you know i wasn't a collegiate golfer so not not knowing what that looks like that that's helpful and i think a lot of our listeners probably would appreciate that as well so our group started out as just a kind of a tailgating group and over the year a couple last couple of years it's really evolved we helped with fundraisers for the school last year we did dollars for dingers we raised almost ten thousand dollars for the baseball team and last year we did our second annual toys for tots drive so we're really passionate about trying to do things and raise money for the school and out in the community it's, it's something that we're really proud of What's your favorite charity and tell Monarch Nation a little bit about it? Sure. You know, I can't say that I have one particular one that I would pick above the others. But for me, anything that supports military families, obviously, like I mentioned earlier, my dad was in the Air Force. He was a pilot for 25 years and he passed away about five years ago from ALS, which is horrific, but his ALS was 100% connected to his service in the first Gulf War. A lot of people, a very high number, I should say, of people who served in the first Gulf War, early 90s, were ultimately diagnosed and had passed away with ALS. So they do believe that there was something connected um, there. They just don't know exactly what, but he was considered 100% service connected. So, um, not necessarily a big fan of the ALS Association. Um, not a big fan of kind of how they have how they handle things, but there are some smaller organizations that specifically help military families that you know are dealing with veterans with neuromuscular issues, which is what my dad had. I will say we have phenomenal support for our veterans that you know are now without a limb. I think we do a great job with those. I think where we where we lack is the neuromuscular and certainly those with any kind of mental health. So support for those families is so important. They need advocates. They need information. They need financial help. Our family was just very fortunate because, you know, the finances were not an issue, but that's not everybody's case. And my dad had wonderful advocates as well. So he always, you know, for as bad as it was, he always said that there were other families out there, certainly within the military family that needed help. So anything, you know, that's helping support the families of our veterans, I think is is really just a great cause. Obviously, we live in this great country, despite your your political affiliations and Lord knows our leadership or the divisiveness that we have is, is one thing in our country, but our military is something to be very proud of. And 
the people that volunteer their lives, their health, and ultimately the their families' lives, really, and how their families' lives are impacted. I think anything, any, any group, I like smaller groups personally, because I, I like to really know that whether it's my money or my time or whatever it is that I'm, that I'm giving is, is I know the, the direct impact that it is having. So one cool thing actually that we're doing this week that NCAA golf does in conjunction with Folds of Honor, Mike, you may be familiar with that. It's a organization that was started by Major Dan Rooney. They do big, uh, big events. I can't remember if they do it on Memorial Day or Labor Day. I think it's Labor Day, actually, that they do it around the country and they raise money. But we have a salute to service day on on Monday. Even though we won't be playing to the afternoon, we will be in attendance first thing in the morning just to see the different things that they're going to do with that. And then each player on Monday will be given a pin and a kind of a little story for to pin on their golf bag about a fallen service member that they will play in honor of that day. And we'll have the, some of the flags will be American flags. So it's a great, great thing that they do. Several players have bags with the name of a fallen service member on them that they honor throughout the year. So great thing that NCAA golf does of Folds of Honor, but obviously Folds of Honor is huge and they have tons of great support. That's why I always try to encourage people to try to find something smaller, maybe within your area, a specific family that you know that you can really know that your your money and your time is going to actually help them. Rock on. We def- definitely, our group, we've got a number of veterans in our group. I served 11 years in the Navy. My dad's retired military. Mike's father is as well. So if you ever need any help with any of that stuff, our group will be there to help you out. Thank you. Absolutely. And my mom was a military service member as well, and she passed away from something they think is related to the housing we lived in. So yeah, pretty much every woman her age that lives in the housing at the same time that she did all died from uterine cancer. So I'm well aware of weird things happening with military and parents. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and the, you know, the VA... Well, thank you, Mike, and you too. The VA is supposed to be there to support, but sometimes they can be very difficult to work with. And I I wouldn't want to knock them because they do do a lot of great things. And ultimately, it just comes down to the the people within that organization that you get. But that's why I think some of these some of these nonprofits, you know, that are trying to really get the money, get the resources, you know, to the families are so great. All right, so it's going to be hard, but we're going to switch gears and try to. Yeah, let me take a sip of my beer. So let's switch gears. So on to the fun questions. What is your favorite municipal course in the 757? And I I strictly say municipal because a lot of folks like me don't have the access to the beautiful courses our players Mm -hmm. do. Sure. Well, I'm a nearby resident of Kempsville Greens, so I will give them my plug. Mike Fentrist and his staff out there have always been very kind to me. And uh, so, yeah, I will give them my plug for best, best Muni in the 757. It's a tough track. It's pretty tight through there. Through a lot it of the- is. It is. Yes. Lost yeah. a few golf balls out. 10 always makes me think I can hit that green and I should just hit yeah. an iron off the tee. I don't know why. Hit an iron. Yep. So uh, <laughs> on the same note, what's your favorite course in the area? 
You know, I'm just, I'm so biased for Princess Anne. You know, I love the old school track out there. It's so unique. I know it uh, would be a track that my dad would have loved. And I'm just so proud of the event that we have out there. It just, you know, may sound a little silly, but I just, I have good vibes every time I go out there, good feelings and so many great friends that are members and obviously the, the wonderful golf staff. Princess Anne is just, it's a special place. All right, Mallory, if you've got... 45 minutes to kill and you're on campus what's your favorite place where are you going to hang out oh gosh 45 minutes on campus um well the lady at zero subs on monarch way god bless her she makes the best philly cheesesteak i love going over to whitehurst beach you know i just love walking over there we call it the top side of campus you know kind of over by the web just kind of walking those sidewalks where all the trees are. It's a really pretty part of campus and it's usually very quiet, you know, on that front side of the web. But yeah, we have a sneaky, a sneaky, beautiful campus. I know all of our recruits say that when they come in and there's just lots of little kind of areas that you can find that are just, especially this time of the year, you know, spring and then into fall that are just very pretty and quiet. And you just feel like, you know, you are somewhere special, but if I've got 45 minutes, I'm going to the zero subs for the Philly cheesesteak. The sunsets at Whitehurst? <laughs> yes. Yes, the sunsets are awesome. Wait, people go, wait a minute, we have a beach on campus? How many people yeah. are going to listen to me like, there's a beach? <laughs> yep. I will add the, the sunsets from Lambert's Point. After you finish <laughs> the tw- twilight round, you're drinking yes. a beer on their little yep. patio. Pretty good way to spend an evening. We always take the recruits up there on their visit to the uh, highest point in Norfolk, which is the number one green at Lambert's, 70 feet above sea level. And it, what a unique spot, you know? I mean, the the views there are pretty cool. Early in the morning, you can see dolphins. And like you said, late, you know, late in the evening, you can watch an incredible sunset. Or you can watch the sailing team practice. Yeah. (laughs) On the food note, favorite restaurant? Norfolk. Ooh, we got some good ones. I would have to go Luna Maya. I am such a huge Mexican food fan. They have great margaritas. Love their enchiladas. Luna Maya, sponsor me. Yeah, us too. <laughs> hey, you know you know who else said that they love Luna Maya? Ricky Ronnie. Who's that? Ricky Ronnie. Well, he's smart. Yeah, he's a smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he said that he really liked that place. All right. We always ask about music as well. So who's your favorite musical artist? And is there one that you really want to see live that you just haven't had an opportunity to yet? I, I'm a country fan. Gosh, Luke Combs would be great. I've seen Jason Aldean, saw Jason Aldean, I guess, was that last summer in August? He was here. I know that we have this weekend coming up, the patriotic festival down at town point park and i know morgan whalen's going to be there and i love his music luke bryan in 2005 six seven when i was at georgia would play at this dive bar in athens and was incredible then he actually was better then than he is now that he's you know nashville country but he was a great live show you know back before he was famous but yeah, probably Luke Combs or Morgan. But yeah, Jason Aldean was a great show. George Strait does an cr- incredible show. Gosh, I'm sorry. Garth Brooks does an incredible show. George Strait does a very boring show. But yeah, I'm 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 country, but like good country. 
not some of this new some of this new stuff is is not great but i do love live music and would i'm always down for for a concert outside nice all right we're gonna get this is a more controversial question so okay and i was talking with mike about this and we had some pretty differing opinions what is Mm -hmm. your favorite golf movie gosh you know, I'm going to have to go 10 cup. You know, I'm a bit of a romantic, so I do like the love part of it. And, you know, it's just so real. Like, that's golf. Like, so many times you don't just pull it off and win and storybook. You you, you screw up at the end and it stinks and you got to live with it. That scene is so maddening. Just yeah. not take yeah. the drop. I mean, Happy Gilmore's funny. I mean, I'll watch it. Caddyshack funny i'll watch it i wasn't a big fan of what is it legend of bagger vance eh. yeah uh, i'm i'm tim cup i'm tim cup yeah what are y'all so what do y'all argue over i don't know if i would say argue but it, it depends on the, the mood you're in i mean adam sandler was pretty clutch at that time when he made that movie uh and i'm cash. always always a fan of carl weathers I said Caddyshack. <laughs> Caddyshack, yeah. Just the first one, though. The other ones are pretty bad. Thank you for joining us today, Mallory. We really appreciate having you. We know you got to get to dinner, so thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. Uh, we wish Absolutely. Jana, the best of luck this weekend, and hope she can bring back a title to Norfolk. Absolutely. She's, she's certainly capable. And we're all just so proud of the career that she's had. And she's helped put ODU on the map, certainly, within women's golf. I think being here just is uh, so special. And we're going to try to make the most of it. And hopefully, we have more podcasts that are being taped from national championships across all of our sports. This may be the first one, but let's, let's get everybody going and do it at some more. Absolutely. And we'll be watching from afar. And hopefully we can have you on again as we get closer to the fall so you can talk all about your outstanding event that's coming up. I would love that. That would be awesome, you guys. Thank you all so much. I've enjoyed it. All right. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.